0: Hey, welcome to the Jesus Sex and Politics Podcast. I'm Micah. I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all the things that culture doesn't want to talk about. And that might scare you. Well, hey, welcome. We want to uh, take a second here and just say thanks for uh, jumping back into Jesus, Sex, and Politics with Nathan and I for 2022. We've got some really excited, exciting podcasts lined up for you, and and we're going to be bringing those to you shortly uh, for this new year. But the first one we want to do, and uh, Nathan's on vacation here, so if it's, you're wondering where he's at, uh, we're but we're gonna he's not going to be here, but that's okay. We're going to jump into a really fascinating conversation that we had here at Life Church, um, uh, probably back in uh, early December, late November uh, of last year, 2021, and it was uh, a special guest that we had in. His name was Walt Heyer. Um, and I, I do some work for the Indiana Family Institute, and, and IFI brought him in and. And uh, they came to Life Church, and the executive director, uh, Ryan McCann, interviewed Walt, and Walt has a fascinating testimony. He was uh, one of the first um, to undergo re uh, gender reassignment surgery in the United States. I think there there were some before him, but, but he was early on in 1983, he had gender reassignment surgery and he lived the life of a transgender woman for about, uh, I think it was around six to seven years or almost eight years, I believe. And, and it, it was this, it, it was this amazing testimony where the Lord re- pulled him out of that and got a hold of him and, and, and put him back into proper identity and who God says he is. Now, Walt's, I believe, 80 years old now, and so he's got an amazing story. You need to listen to it. Um, And Ryan McCann, the executive director of uh, Indiana Family Institute, does this, does the interview, and you're going to catch that now here. Um, But we hope you're blessed by this, and we hope it gets you thinking. Right now in culture, we are told you cannot ask these questions, you cannot push back on people who say they want to identify as a different gender from what their biological gender is and that is totally and patently untrue we know that god says who you are and that's your identity and if he made you a man you're a man if he made you a woman you're a woman and Walt you're going to you're going to love hearing his story because he totally just, he, he, he hits it out of the park and he doesn't hold back. And, he's, and, and he goes all the way back to his childhood. And a lot of this stuff happened when he was very, very young at the age of four. So you're going to love it. So stay tuned. We're going to dive into that right now. But again, looking forward to 2022 with all the amazing listeners we have out in podcast land. So uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, here's uh, Ryan McCann from Indiana Family Institute and Walt Heyer.
1: My name is Ryan McCann. I'm the Executive Director of the Indiana Family Institute. And if you didn't see when you walked in, uh, we have a little registration form there. It's got a little QR code on it. Makes it easy to just take a picture of the little QR code and then it pops up a registration form and you just put your contact information in there for us. It helps us to be able to stay in touch with you, send you an email from time to time and just uh, get you into our system. And so if you haven't done that yet, if you do that for us, that would be a, a great help. We also had folders out there. Hopefully you took advantage of those, tell us some information about the Indiana Family Institute, who we are, what we do. And uh, so hopefully that'll get you some information about, about us. So IFI, we're a statewide organization here in Indiana, and we deal with faith, family, and freedom issues. What we're trying to do is create an environment in Indiana where families can flourish, so we do that in a lot of ways. We do some public policy work in the legislature on faith, family, and freedom issues. We have a leadership series where we're trying to, trying to grow up good, strong, conservative Christian leaders in the state of Indiana. We do a, a, what we call the Daniel Initiative, try to connect pastors with elected officials. We know the true answers that our culture needs is found in the gospel. And so we're trying to connect the church with folks in culture that are making decisions and trying to help disciple there. And then lastly, we get involved in some legal issues from time to time with our Five Freedoms Project. There's five freedoms in the First Amendment. We focus particularly on religious liberty and free speech and try to help folks that are in culture and trying to live out their faith but aren't able to because of government uh, for whatever reason. Unfortunately, there's growing issues of that. Before I get started, I just want to uh, call out Micah Beckwith in the back, uh, wherever Micah went. But Micah is uh, a pastor here at the church. There he is. And he also runs our leadership series, the Hoosier Leadership Series through IFI, and just does a great job with that. And so if you're in the area and need a church home, come by and see Micah, because they do great things here at Life I also want to just mention Justine Mercedes here in the front. Justine uh, helps. She is uh, helps parents that have children that are struggling with gender identity issues in the GLBT community. And so Justine, remind me. Uh, let everybody know the name of your organization, your parent group, so that they can get in touch with you after. Parents of RODG kids. R O G D. I I never get it right. I'm no Justine forever. I'll never get that name right. we got to cut it down. <laughs> Absolutely. Justine uh, has a daughter who struggled with gender identity issues, and she knows uh, those struggles. So if you're a parent that has a, a child with some of those issues, she can for sure help you. I also want to call out State Representative Mike Speedy in the back. Wave for a Mike. Mike's down uh, a little bit southern part of Indianapolis. Mike's a great conservative Christian guy. Glad to have him here and just does some phenomenal work in the legislature. So you always hear about the bad politicians. There are some good ones out there that are serious about their faith and are trying to get things do good things. Mike's one of those guys. So give him a pat on the back when you, when you leave today. Uh, so with that intro all behind us, I just want to, I'm so thankful that I get a Spent some time talking with Walt Heyer today. I was reminding Walt and his wife, Casey, that we met years ago at the Alliance Defending Freedom in Washington, D.C. There's a conference that uh, they do for family policy councils. That's the generic term for groups like IFI in different states. There's 40 state groups like Indiana Family Institute and other states. We get together once a year, and, and Walt was there several years ago when Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally, I believe, it was just coming out or right around there. I got to Walt, meet Walt at that time, and of course, he's been all throughout culture talking about the, the transgender issue uh, for years now, and I think d- has done that in a very winsome way. And so we're just going to have a very informal time here of just talking uh, really about Walt's life and having him share that with you and uh, just a little back and forth here, and then we're going to open it up for questions and answers. We'll just run to about three, so we'll go on here for about 30, 40 minutes, and then we'll uh, we'll do some... Questions and answers, so that you guys could can get involved in the conversation as well, and then we'll wrap up at three to get you on with your day. Me, I have five kids, so I'm heading right after this to go on a hike with the with the kids. So we won't keep you too long. So with that, well, thank you so much for coming.
2: Well, thanks, Ryan. It's a it's a pleasure to be here, and um, you know this is a topic that's affecting every institution in our nation not just here in Illinois and so I'm glad we're having an opportunity to to talk about it and on a personal level I've been dealing with it for over 77 years Uh, and to put that more succinct um, in when I was four years old uh, in 1944 uh, my grandmother began cross-dressing me as a little girl because she was a seamstress and, you know, what I've learned in hindsight, uh, I didn't know then, like many of the kids that were engaging in this behavior today, where parents think it's okay to put their kid in a dress and give them a different identity and all this sort of stuff. Um, what, I'm, what I'm here to tell you is uh, to do that is child abuse. It destroys them psychologically, emotionally, and sometimes sexually. And let me explain how that happens. Um, When my grandmother uh, chose to do this in 1944, and if you stop and think about it, if it was benign and not harmful, why am I talking about it when I'm 80 years old? It's because it's harmful. And when she put me in that dress and began to affirm me, she was not affirming the little boy Walt that I was. She was actually introducing the idea to me and if we can if we can come to grips with the idea that when we put a boy in a dress what we're really telling that boy is that there's something wrong with you as a boy and that begins to destroy with the inner core of who they are and that's why it's child abuse we shouldn't be engaging in trying to destroy the core identity of any young person who has no idea what the consequences are gonna be 77 years later because of what they did. It's harmful. It's not a game, it's not a fun little thing, and it's not benign. It has long-term consequences that devastate people. And so when she did that, and she told me it's our little secret, uh, I kept this secret for about two and a half years, but every time, which was frequent, I went to Grandma's house, that purple dress she made for me was there because she was a seamstress and would put me in the dress and then affirm me and tell me how cute I was as a little girl. Well, you can, you can imagine over a two-year period of keeping this secret and dealing with this that it began to affect my ability to even go to sleep at night because I started thinking when I'm home, you know, what's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me as a boy. I happened to like cowboy boots and tore up jeans. I was kind of a rough and tumble kid. But Grandma liked me in the, the purple chiffon dress. So that, that conflict began, and I began to wonder, you know, what's, what's going to happen to me? What, what is wrong with me? And so when I finally became so accustomed to that affirmation after two and a half years, I snuck this secret dress back home, and my mother found it and then man the eruption in the house between mom and dad because mom asked me where that dress came from and I said grandma made it and then, my dad was mad at her it blew up the house I was responsible for breaking the secret I felt bad by this time I'm only six years old and so if you can imagine in the, the mid 1940s there's no internet there's no terms there's they don't have gender dysphoria they don't have transitioning and all that's just a kid putting on a dress because grandma did it and it did impact me in in how i began to perceive who i was and you can imagine a a developing little brain trying to deal and cope with this is is difficult and so my dad uh... who was a really cool guy uh, didn't know what to do decided that the way that Uh, he was going to sort of reshape my life was use heavy discipline when I did something wrong, which included a hardwood floor plank across my butt, to try, I can can really feel how he was trying to sort of man me up, you know, and I mean I get that, I don't blame him for doing it. But it raised welts on me, it was, it, it harmed me. And then his adopted brother, Uncle Fred, when he heard went through the family that I'd been wearing this purple dress at grandma's and so forth um, Uncle Fred decided that I was fair game to be sexually molested and so then that molestation and so forth went on all these things happening the purple dress the hardwood floor plank and being sexually molested before I'm 10 years old and so we're we're in the 1940s and I'm trying to figure out how am I gonna cope with this on, on a level of a ten, nine or 10 year old kid. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just knowing that something's wrong. I got somebody abusing me sexually. I got somebody hitting me. I got somebody putting me in a dress and my head is like scrambled eggs. But what, what took place during that time was that this, this little purple dress and all these things that were happening became just like a radio program was turned on as soon as I woke up every day. This went on. Because you can't get rid of these things. They don't go away. And so I didn't know where I was going or what I was gonna do until the mid-1950s. Somebody came out with a headline about Christine Jorgensen, Marine or soldier or something, is a transsexual. And when I saw that in the news, I thought, well, that, that must be me. And so we have that that social identifier, you know, where I I didn't have any place to put where 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 all these experiences I had, where was I going to put them? Well, here's where I identified because this was in the news, and so then I began to believe that's who I was, and I continued this cross-gender behavior, dressing, and so forth secretly. Uh, I even took on a name by the, in my early teens as Crystal West, and. I I had several different female names that I hid from people, but I was never homosexual, and I I had a girlfriend in high school named Lola Joy Phipps, and she was hot. (laughs) And so, you know, uh, so I wasn't, it it was never about homosexuality, and I think one of the things that we miss in this is that um, we're fracturing people's identity were not really changing their sexual orientation, and that was certainly the case for me so um, on outward appearance, I was a normal kid i I ran track I played uh, on the football team I was a kicker. I know I looked small well I was a good kicker so um, so I was athletic um, I had a lot of friends I was in a car club I had a nineteen thirty four Ford when I was 16 years old with a Corvette engine in it. Now tell me who doesn't want one of those when you're 16. And you're still alive. And I'm still alive, yeah. So there was a lot of normalcy. My my parents were actually really good people. My dad was an industrial salesman. My mom was a good person. Uh, But this event with a purple dress triggered things that were not yet resolved and we don't we don't really I, even to this day we haven't given enough uh, intellectual thought to the harm and impact about what happens to individuals who are sexually abused emotionally abused and psychologically abused we sort of we, I've heard people say well they're strong kids are strong they're resilient no They're not. They get damaged and they hurt and they don't know what to do with it. And so Christine Jorgensen for me was a way to identify with probably where I was going. And so I struggled with these things for years and yet I got married. Um, I had two children in my first marriage and um, I Eventually became an associate design engineer on the Apollo space missions working in the area of cryogenics. I graduated from there and went into the automobile industry and and was a national operations manager for American Honda Motor Company and eventually worked on the development of the Acura Division. So I wasn't, you know, it, it didn't break me to the point to where I was, you know, drooling in my soup, but up here, the purple dress that started when I was four years old was still tormenting me because I was struggling with this. I did not know what to do with it. And so, uh, in my brilliant wisdom, being this great engineer and a guy, an executive with a company, went to one of these places that has a gender specialist. And if you ever find a sign that says gender specialist, be sure you run the other way. They are not gender specialists at all. They're corrupt. I went in there, and this guy that was my therapist that that I first went to was actually, his name was Dr. Paul Walker. Dr. Paul Walker was the chairperson that wrote and designed the original Harry Benjamin International Standards of Care that has been altered and changed, but the same standards of care morphed into WPATH, which my doctor actually wrote. And he was considered a worldwide expert in diagnosing and treating what they call gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. He's an expert. He told me that I needed hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery in 1981. I went through the protocols because I didn't, there was no Walt Heyer out there or anybody else saying, stop, the bridge is out, don't do this. The consequences are devastating. This is not fun game. So I listened to him, I got the hormones, I went through the process, I got divorced from my first wife, left my two beautiful kids in 1983, underwent gender reassignment surgery while I was still working at Honda. As an executive, I notified them of my change and they put all my stuff in a box and walked me out the gate and terminated me in 1983, October 25th 1983, which is only two days away Uh, it happened to be my birthday, October 25th and I was terminated and to this day I have never had another job of anything even close to those kind of employments because in in the 80's people were mortified of somebody who'd gone through this. They didn't know what to do with them, and they they didn't know how to deal with it. So I lived eight years as Laura Jensen. I worked uh, for the FDIC, for the federal government. I worked for the post office. I started studying psychology at UC Santa Cruz in California, and I started looking uh, to actually be a PhD psychologist and sit down and help people, and I started studying Psychology and realized that if you begin to look into the the real issues, they have this term called comorbid disorders, and and what's comorbid disorders? And one of the first ones I found out was separation anxiety. And a story about a boy who lost his mother; had passed away, and he he decided to transition to a female, and he decided to transition to a female not because he wanted to be a female, but because he wanted to feel as though his mother was still there. He actually took on her identity. And when you start to think about these things and realize that there's something uh, very deep uh, within people who do this stuff. It's not because they were born that way. It's not because they have a female brain. It's because something happened. And so when I came through this in uh, 1990, And through the grace of God, during prayer, the Lord came to me and redeemed and restored my life. I I gave up the idea of being a psychologist and decided that I wanted to work with people who had gone through this and and needed to find Jesus and also needed redemption and restoration so that they wouldn't live the lifestyle. And people were telling me, well, you know, that's not going to work because, you know, they're made that way. You know, what we know is that there's a sperm and an egg. And when they come together, that's the end of the game because you can't change anything after that. You're either a male or female. There's nothing in between. There is no transgender sperm or anything else. You're either male or female. And when you realize that, God has you at that point. You just need to realize it. And so today, with our website, sexchangeregret.com, that we started, I don't know, 13 or 14 years ago, um, I wanted to know how many people like me had gone through this and regretted not being told that the comorbid disorders are what's driving these desires and these feelings to want to cut body parts off and destroy your life. And if if we step back and think about the process of identifying as a transgender, every step is a self-destructive step, is it not? You fill yourself with hormones you do not need that change who you are, self-destructive. You begin as the girls do today, cut their breasts off, self-destructive. Uh, guys have their genitals cut off, or they. They completely change who they are. This is self destructive behavior. This is not somebody doing something that 's good for them and If we can begin to come to grips with the fact as I do and my wife and i that we've we 've done this now for many years, and get people to realize you 're in a self destruct mode. This is kind of like the suicide that you live through nobody in in history has yet ever biologically changed from male to female or female to male. It doesn't happen. So we're, we're, we're sort of embracing this idea that the people change and they want you to say, oh, well, that's a female. No, it's a guy in a dress. And there's something wrong with him. Now, today that sounds real abusive, right? But they've set up all these terms to make that kind of language seem, oh man, that's bad. No. I want to find out what happened that caused them to not like who they are. You see, what happened to me was I was put in a purple dress and affirmed. I was hit with a hardwood floor plank and I was sexually abused. When I've worked with individuals and had an opportunity 100% of the time in working with them, they have been able to tell me, themselves, what happened that caused them to not like who they are. And when they write me about regret, they write and say, you know, I know. I never became a woman, or I never became a man. We're destroying people, young and old, and in the process, destroying families. The letters, I get them every day, 365 days a year, working with people. I I had three, I believe, this morning I'm currently working with a 27-year-old who was in a, a medical institution since 2013. They had been treating him for schizophrenia, bipolar 1 disorder, PTSD. He was sexually abused by his older brother and physically abused by his alcoholic father. And they've been treating him for these mental disorders, diagnosed mental disorders. Since 2013, March, they decided that they were going to transition him. He got on hormones, they conducted the full range of surgeries, facial feminization, cut off his genitals, and he's identifying as a woman. That's what they did at the medical clinic. He contacted me eight weeks ago, and he says, I want my life back. I'm working with him. I've had as we speak right now over 300 email exchanges well over 60 phone calls and um, we're in the process uh, of uh, engaging in filing a medical malpractice case because this is absolutely abhorrent to take somebody who has diagnosed mental disorders of schizophrenia which has all kinds of issues in, in of itself but yet bipolar disorder which is the swing of depression and PTSD and sexual abuse sexual abuse by, by itself anybody who's been sexually abused should not be a candidate to have their genitals cut off or altered to become somebody else sexual abuse is a crime and it's being committed way too many times, and and what we found out in the people that we work with, probably some, he's probably getting close to 70% of the people that we contact who've had regret were sexually abused, or they were emotionally abused, or they had some real tragic event. The point is, something has happened. They weren't made transgender. And if we're to be intellectually honest for just a moment, There are no transgenders. They don't exist. Why do I say that? Because using the word suggests, and they they did this on purpose, by the way, using the word transgender suggests that something actually occurred to change them from this place to there. And it didn't happen. That's a lie. And same way with transition. The word transition is intended to make you think that this actually worked was, was a good thing and that you should legislate it and you should make it happen and it should be good and we should be nice to them and leave them alone when we should be looking into what happened to them and giving them counsel on the issues that caused them to not like who they are instead of telling them to transition, stuffing them full of hormones and cutting off body parts. I mean, It's, it's like Frankenstein I mean it's barbaric to cut off a girl's breast to cut off a guy's genitals I don't care how old he is if we're to sit and pause for just a moment it's insane and the regret ratio is way out the window what the opposition will tell you it's 1% what a crock you know we I can't even begin to tell you how many people that we've contacted with uh, worked with with regret but it's Probably well over 50, 60, 70 percent if we're to be honest about it because as an example when we talk about regret When when are you going to calculate when the regret hit? You know if you're going to talk about one year after the surgery. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's pretty good there How about five years? How about ten years? Because every year that goes by or every decade that goes by more people have regret But they don't calculate those those don't get into the equation and I will tell you something else that's really infuriating <laughs> is that of all the people that I've worked with, including myself, none of us, including me, who's speaking today, have ever been included in any regret study. You see, they fudge everything to make everything look like it's working. This is insanity that needs to be stopped. And so, the work that we do and is really pointed directly at trying to identify the causes because I know they don't have a female brain I know they weren't born that way God didn't make them that way something happened and the harm done to individuals like this one that I'm working with all those phone calls and stuff it was two days ago I'm driving here from North Carolina and he's sending me a note saying he's going into a crisis care facility because he's so suicidal after having the surgery and everybody's telling us that if we don't give them these procedures right that they're gonna commit suicide the opposite is what's true you see anything they say is true flip it over and you'll get the truth because You know, Sweden is the one country that keeps the most accurate records because everything goes into their medical bank and they've got the history on everything. And they have come out and said it's 19 times more likely to end your life by suicide after you go through this crazy transition that doesn't happen. And, And they have stopped in Sweden allowing kids to take these early hormone blockers and transition and when my wife and I flew in 2020 to Prague we were invited to speak there for 2 weeks and um, it was March right yeah and i i flew into prague and the next day i was going to meet with in, down in the basement of a really old church with uh, three three members of parliament and a surgeon who does the sex change surgery, so-called, a therapist who approves the surgery, and other prominent individuals working in that field, uh, including educators. And we sat around this table, and I began through a translator to tell them about the harms being done, and that you really need to step up and not allow these children to be mutilated before their brains are developed. Because the brain doesn't even develop until they're in their 20s. So why are we doing this to them before they're fully able to understand what the consequences are? This to me is, I know from my own experience, the damage. And so when I was done speaking, um, three the three members of parliament grabbed my wife and I and said, you need to go, go across the street. We want you to speak on television in Parliament about this today. I had no idea. And so what happened during that that time was that um, I spoke at several churches and then the pandemic hit and I got an email on my phone that says, what are you going to do? The president says they're locking down the country and my wife jumped on getting us a ticket and we came back and got here March Thirteenth Friday the Thirteenth because everything was shut down. But that three days in Prague, we were able to have our book Trans Life Survivors was has been translated and published in hardback. But here's the beauty: that interview and that discussion I had uh, with the doctors and with the the therapists was translated and given to every single school in the Czech Republic. And, and they're believers in not doing this to kids. And that's I'm great. hoping we, we get there either. to this point in this country because that's where we need to be. There's too much harm is being done, and we're not bold enough about saying the truth.
1: That's great. I was just saying I wish we should do that in this country. Yeah. Um, well, you know, in Indiana, uh, you said in the beginning, Illinois, and we're not quite there yet. You know, yeah. our neighbors to the west are, are, are farther down the... Down the Did I miss I where I was? <laughs> That's right. You said Illinois at the beginning. That's okay. Um, I just want to clarify that Indiana's better than Illinois. That's right.
2: all. Okay. Um, Indiana's cool.
1: <laughs> but uh, so here in Indiana, in Indianapolis, there's the uh, Riley Children's Hospital, which really has been the gold standard, you know, around the state for a long time. And um, I just found out a few years ago that they, have, they opened a gender health wing five years ago there. And Riley, it's just it's all minors. It's all kids. And mm-hmm. um, I've learned that over the last five years, they've treated 500 kids mm-hmm. through that. And they offer right on their website the whole plethora of options, puberty block, blocking drugs, yeah. cross-sex hormones, even surgery. And these are, these are minors. If, if you were to address a parent that had a child that was struggling with some of these issues and they were going to Riley and you know the doctors there are all giving them you know you look at their doctors and you just read 5 seconds in and you see where they're at on this they're far left activists on these issues yeah if you could you know get a hold of those parents as they're going down to Riley to take their kids what would you tell them
2: yeah well first off um, the hospitals shouldn't be open doing this because it's destroying kids this this is um it's been going on a long time, and it started uh, many years ago. I, I do the same thing. I talk anytime I have an opportunity to talk to a parent who's dealing with the child. I always ask them about, tell me about what's going on in their life. Because there's, there's a point. Either, the, either they're watching things on television, or they have uh, an, a, an older sibling that's involved. Who's teaching them? They don't come out of the womb this way. Somebody has to be educating and indoctrinating them into this. Who's doing it? And so, when we can find that, and many of the parents don't want to talk about it, Uh, some do, Um, but let, let me give you an example of the hospital and what happens. I got a letter from a young man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel wrote me, Um, it's one of many, uh, wrote me and said uh, when I was 15 uh, you know I'd been dealing with, I'd been looking at pornography and, and I thought maybe I was transgender and so I told my parents and so my parents took me to a clinic at 15, got him on hormone blockers and went through the whole protocol. Parents all in 100% all the way down the line. 18 years old on his birthday in the hospital. All the body parts cut off, all the identity changes, everything's done. His email came to me a year later when he's 19. And the article's published in the Daily Signal, Walt Heyer if you want to look at it. And he wrote in his own words instead, I feel like a Frankenstein hack job. Can I get my life back? It ruined a kid. They ruined a the kid because they did not sit down and ask him about what influence pornography had on his life. Now, he realizes it today. Why are we just taking a child's word for it, or even for that matter, a parent's word for it, that, that they're transgender? I mean, this is the only thing in the world where we allow somebody to self-diagnose and then allow them to destroy their life. Oh, I'm a transgender, I've got gender dysphoria. Okay, cut off the body parts, cut off the breast, and send you on your way. I've got the
1: same contact prescription for decades, yet I have to, you know, go to the optometrist and have them give me a prescription so I can get my contacts, and yet we're going to have a, you know, 12-year-old self-diagnosed or 14 or 15 or whatever. Yeah, um, You're right, it's just madness. Well, and
2: I've, I've also come to the conclusion because the, the left is so good with using words that impact people uh, in the wrong way to benefit them. And gender dysphoria is not a diagnosis. Gender dysphoria is, tells you that's a symptom and whatever that symptom is, you better find out what the real issue is because it's here. The problem with gender dysphoria is we typically stop going any further and asking any more questions after they say they have gender dysphoria. That's now become a diagnosis when it's not a diagnosis. It should be a signal.
1: should that, be the beginning of treatment, not the end,
2: right? And, and yeah, and, and the point is that gender dysphoria goes away mm-hmm. when you address the issue that caused them to not like who they are or to identify. Sometimes it's just a social contagion for some of the young people today you know, they're joining friends. Maybe they're just not socially good or adapt with their friends. If I identify as a transgender you're going to get the whole room you know, around you. So we have to be really we need to stop these hospitals from ruining kids' lives. That's a destruction center.
1: Well, we had Indiana Family Institute we do public policy work and uh, last year we had a bill Senator Dennis Cruz authored in the Senate that would make it illegal that would say that for minors giving puberty blocking drugs and cross sex hormones or surgery to to put people towards a a a really um, impossible transition that isn't even uh, like we're saying today it's impossible to go from being a biological male to being a biological female. Can't happen. can't happen. You can mutilate your body, you can try to pretend it's never going to happen and it's so sad, um, so many fe- people that you're talking to, to that are struggling with that. But we had, we had a legislation that would, would stop that. It didn't get a hearing, but we're going to continue to push that as the issue becomes more well-known. People understand a little bit more about what's happening. Um, we're hoping we can get some more mom- momentum and pass that into law um, because of everything that you've said. Um, I want to ask you too, you mentioned several times and I think it's really important. Um, when we deal with other mental health issues, we never get to the point of, uh, okay, here's what you're struggling with and then encourage them further into that. That's exactly You know, right. sch- schizophrenia or an eating disorder or whatever the mental health issue or just other health issue. That's oh, right. I broke my arm. That's just the way you are. You know, we're not going to do anything to make that better. We're going to encourage you that you're the person with the broken arm. That's right. just who you are, you know? Right. We do that with, with the gender identity issue, and I've gotten calls at IFI all over the place from all, all sorts of different areas of folks that um, are, are dealing with that. And talk a bit a, a minute about how that happens, how, how we view that as different than everything else in the health sphere where everything else in, the, in, in healthcare, you find the problem and you try to get to the root cause and you try to solve that. With gender identity, you, you find the problem and then you encourage them further into the problematic you know, the things that are, that are causing them pain. Well,
2: There's been some really slick powerful lobbyists and I, and I think had we not had this terminology like gender dysphoria, transition and transi- transgender, we, we on the, and I'm guilty of using the terms and, and I'm getting better at it and saying no you're a man in a dress. You can't transition. You can't become a transgender. And your gender dysphoria is actually bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or obsessive compulsive disorder or something else. And so, uh, the whole idea has just, uh, and, and money, I mean the lobbyists, the left has just done a fantastic job and we on our side have sort of bought into what they're selling. We're buying their terminology. We buy their words. We use them as though they're real. And uh, my wife knows, I, I, I don't want us to use their words. You know, if I'm standing in front of somebody who says they're transgender, I'm going to tell them, no, you're a man in a dress.
1: Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? They kind of, they're good at basic human psychology and understand how do you put you in a position that'll make you very uncomfortable. I've been in that position before where it's obvious a man in a dress. Identified as a female and I'm supposed to be having a discussion with this person and it's very difficult because yeah. you say You know use the male pronouns and the room the air goes out of the room Oh, you're so rude to yeah. refer to this person as the opposite. Well, I'm, I'm doing him harm by calling him a female I'm pushing him farther down this delusional uh, road that's going to lead to pain and and possible suicide can't participate in that. But it's hard in the in the meantime, in the the short term, isn't it, when you're put in that position because just our general um, you know psychology kind of points to, oh, however they want to be called, we ought to call them that. Well, is that really good for them?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, my friend Bill, when I was in the auto industry and I worked with Bill for many years and he was a good friend, we we're family friends and all that. And when I went through this and I went to my friend Bill and I said, Bill, you know, I, you got to start using the right pronouns and you got to do all this stuff the right way. And it was very controlling, isn't it, when you when you take control of somebody's dialogue. And Bill kind of looked back at me, and he goes, mm, okay. He says, I, I think I, I, I got the right pronoun for you. I said, oh, cool. He said, wacko. <laughs> and you know what? I loved it. I, and it stuck. I mean, to this day, when I see Bill, you know, all these years later, he still calls me wacko, because it's pretty wacko. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, yeah, there's somebody that's being honest about what's going on. And, and today, we wanna to shut down this honesty. And so I really appreciated everybody who spoke directly, which we would call harsh today, that spoke directly to me and addressed these issues and confronted me are the people that I admire the most today. Yeah.
1: Speaking of that, kind of on the same topic, but we've gotten a lot of calls from teachers where school system after school system in Indiana is making it a code, basically a term of employment, where if you don't refer to any child that identifies as transgender by their newfound pronoun that you're basically fired or forced to resign. Yeah. What does that do when you have school-age children in an atmosphere where an authority figure is calling someone who's obviously a biological male, let's say, calling them by female terms? What does that do and how is that problematic?
2: Well. It- Again, first off, it's a lie. We're, we're, we're committing falsehoods at every turn. The terminology is false. Giving them these phony pronouns are false. We're trying to reinforce something that doesn't exist. And when they come out the other side, like this young person I'm working with, he's telling me, he said, they're crazy, they're nuts, they're all lying to me. They lied to me. Why are they doing this? Why don't we have the ability to say the truth? I have actually learned how to speak to somebody for a long time without using pronouns at all. You know, if it the truth is if we talk about somebody in terms of pronouns, they're usually not in the room where you are. They're, you're talking about them to somebody and they're somewhere else. But um this idea that uh, pronouns is somehow, uh, in New York at one time, if you did the wrong pronoun, it was $250,000 or something. Oh my gosh. The, everything that we're talking about here today is about because individuals have been harmed somewhere along the line because something happened that destroyed their core identity. And what we are doing as a society is affirming their brokenness, and not helping them. And what we're doing is allowing them to carry on in this lie, the falsehood, the delusional idea that they're somebody they're not, until such time as they have their own breakthrough. We're not doing anything to help them. Everything that we're doing in terms of hormones, therapy, pronouns, and the nonsense that you're talking about is the most harmful thing you can do to these individuals.
1: Aren't we really killing them with kindness? I mean, literally, I I talk with a lot of folks who don't really have a dog in the hunt, so to speak, but they just have bought into the culture that, oh, if someone wants to identify the opposite sex, I should affirm them. They should be able to be whoever they want to be. But when you really look at it from your perspective, and as we're discussing it today, you're really harming them by what you believe is kindness, but is actually hate. It's really sending them down a path that's going to lead to really destructive and negative things for them. So it's kind of interesting that the kindness that is seen that way in culture is actually really hateful, destructive game for those folks.
2: Yeah, and when I have the opportunity, I, I want to ask him directly, and, and I say, tell me, what caused you to not like who you are? Just tell me. What caused you to not like who you are? What happened to you? What, where was this trigger point? What was the event, the circumstance? And, and then I asked them, do you realize that every step you're taking in this path is a path of self-destruction and, and we need to look at this and, and actually identify with them and let them know that they're in a self-destructive mode. Why do we want to participate in helping someone self-destruct? Because that's what we're doing. We're not helping them because, you know, we pass all these laws and all these clinics are helping them through this process, and when they come to me with their body parts missing, who's there to help them put them back on? No one right? nobody yeah. and 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 so it cost three times more to repair the damage, mm-hmm. and so they' they're by this time, like I was as an executive making a lot of money, I ended up homeless living in a park in Long Beach in a pile of vomit mm-hmm. yeah. and coming out of this, you don't have the money to go in and spend eighty or a hundred thousand dollars to do all these different repaired third surgeries I was fortunate that I was surrounded by a group of good pastors that took me in and let me stay in their house that led me to Jesus that doesn't happen too often
1: yeah, it's really sad isn't it that there's all this money that's just there to flow to promote this you know this view and the surgery and the cross-exorm all these you know but then Afterwards, there, there's nothing. There's no one. That, to me, just seems like malpractice.
2: Well, it is malpractice. And, and I, I often have wanted, if they're going to write legislation to affirm these surgeries and, and government's going to get involved, then, okay, everyone that contacts me, because they have regret, tell me where the form is that I can fill out for them so that they can collect $5 million in damages because the government said it's okay.
1: Exactly. I've thought that as well. As a matter of fact, I think some legislation we're going to do, I, I, I want to work that in there because to me that's obvious. That's a malpractice. Yeah, because they're leaving,
2: they can't, in many cases, they can't fully get the help they need after being totally destroyed by laws and regulations and things that have been put in place, mostly by the barbaric idea that you can cut body parts off and change somebody's, gender, which is a lie. Yeah. And I call this the greatest medical fraud in my lifetime. It is absolutely a total medical fraud. They're signing affidavits saying, "Oh, I just changed a man into a woman." I, as my wife knows, took my surgeon and my therapist to Superior Court in California in San Mateo, and I said, "You come, bring your authority, bring your letters and show because I want my birth certificate back." to being male, Walt. I want you to tell the court that you changed me to female. Prove to the court in writing. I have the document. They admitted in superior court that they cannot do it. The, the most they can accomplish is make someone neutered. That's what they do to dogs. That's the best they can do. They, in their own writing, say that your inner morphology and everything else remains as you were born. Nothing changes. What, what takes place is a change in your persona. If you look up the word persona, you'll get what's really going on. That should be the word that we should be using to identify what's happening with this. They can change their persona. That's what happens to movie actors. That's all they do is they change their appearance, Nothing else changes.
1: That's a great point. We need to hear more of that in our culture. Well, we're winding down, so I want to offer up any, uh, any questions for a while. I'll kind of walk around, and if anybody has any, just raise your hand, and I'll come to you. And
2: Just make them real easy questions. <laughs>
1: you can direct the hard ones to me. Yeah, true or
2: false, yeah, true or false questions only.
3: No. While you were talking,
0: um, I actually had a question come to mind. You mentioned a couple times when coming in contact with these people, you would ask them what was their trigger? What was the point in your life that brought this on? So with my daughter, um, I've asked her this and she can't answer. Uh, I suspect there was abuse, but what do you do when they can't answer, when they won't answer?
2: Yeah, you know, um, I think I was telling Chris about this uh, recently, or at least my wife, I was talking about this, and unfortunately, many people who have been harmed at a young age uh, will not talk about it until the person who harmed them is no longer in their life. Either they're deceased, or they're just gone. They're afraid. And I've had people wait until their forties or fifties to disclose what happened to them because they're kinda haunted by the fact that that person is still there. So, um, that's one of the real difficulties in, in kids being able to tell, especially if it's a family member or a next door neighbor or somebody that the parents know, they're afraid, oh, you know, all hell's gonna break loose because I disclosed who it was, and so, Uh, That's a difficult situation, but um, I can only encourage you to continue to try to um, find ways of working into the conversation and Discussing these issues until you can get them to open up and they may not but um, I Think when when they contact me, they're already at a a point of being totally broken And they, they want to know and early on until they hit that regret thing, they probably don't want to know.
4: Um, I'm just curious. How do you um, address friends who have kids that say they're transgender? I mean, I, I have friends who are teachers; they've bought into this. Um, I was in the medical field. I have, you know, people have bought into this, and I have friends that refer to their children. You know, maybe she was a Rachel's now Ray. I'm uncomfortable addressing them as a he. But how do you do that without cutting off a friendship?
2: Yeah. Um, do you really have to call him a he? I mean, I, I mean, I've kind of negotiated this to the point to where I can communicate with people. I don't need to talk about whether they're male or female. I could talk to you all day long and never say anything to you about you being a female. I think we get caught up in thinking that we need to do this. Uh, Maybe if we just pause and take a moment, we can carry on a conversation uh, without jumping into these hoops. Uh, Sometimes they will say, well, you have to address me this way. And my response would be, no, I'm sorry, I don't.
1: It is hard. I've had that, too, because you don't have to do the pronouns necessarily, but... You're talking to your friend and your you want to address their son who now identifies as a female and how do you even say you know how do you even uh, talk about who you're trying to refer to you know what i mean right. like you're talking with your friend bob and then their son is is fred and now it's sue and it's like how's fred doing how's sue doing how's, you know it's like even around regardless of the pronouns just even trying to address I, it's just such a difficult thing to how is your you know Person that's related to you that's younger than you and your family doing you know, it's
2: Yeah, and I've, I've got a, a very few number of books here, and, and there are uh, three of them that are good. I've got um, Paper Genders and Trans Life Survivors, and we only have maybe a half a dozen or, or so. Those books are really helpful, and if you're somebody that's dealing with this or have somebody that you, you're trying to approach and learn a little bit more about it, I highly recommend that you look at the books. are full of um, great information, research studies, and personal stories, uh, many of them written by the individuals that are uh, just like me.
1: I would also highly recommend Walt's uh, publications if you don't have them. I think they're very uh, very much worth your time, uh, so please do that. There's a question right over here. And while the mic's going around, I would say we also have a publication at IFI. It's more general. Um, I've got a couple up here, but we're about out of the physical ones. But responding to the transgender issue, a parent resource guide, and kind of just the basics of the terminology and a lot of the things we've talked about today. Um, So it's on our website, whosyourfamily.org, which you should have already went to if you registered. Yes, sir. In addition to your books, are there other authors or books that you
2: would recommend for us to read? Yeah, uh, Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage is is good, and Ryan T. Anderson's uh, When Harry Became Sally. Those would be the two other books, but mine are better than both.
1: (laughs) Definitely, and and the reason Ryan Anderson's is so good is because Walt was a part of that one, so. Yeah, because I'm in that book, so. (laughs) Other questions? I've I've got a question. There we go, yes.
4: Um, I have a daughter who's struggling Clearly, severely depressed, um, and I'm having a heck of a time trying to find a psychologist to work with her without having somebody pushing an agenda on her. How on earth do we find people? I'm I'm, I'm Catholic, yeah. and I went to the Archdiocese of Indianapolis because they have a list of counselors. Yeah on their website, and I even called all those people, and they said they would affirm.
2: Yeah. Um, the only one that I'm uh, familiar with that has a pretty good, um, and, and when I say this, we any parent should interview the therapist that they're projecting to use for their child. You need to go alone, meet with the therapist, and have a dialogue with them about what their belief system is, and what their thinking is and where they want to go. So no matter who gives you the the referral, you check them out, don't believe it. But uh, Focus on the Family has got a great referral program. Uh, you can go to their, uh, I think it's um, Focus on the Family Counseling Referral. Uh, I think if you use those terms, it'll come up. And, and they've done uh, a good job of weeding out uh, therapists that uh, were not not appropriate, but in any case, you interview them alone before you let your child go. And that's true for anybody.
4: I went through a process. I talked to in excess of 15 counselors, and I had multiple people lecturing me about how my approach to not wanting to affirm my daughter in an alternate identity was the wrong approach.
2: Well, see, this is, this is the same thing as using these terminologies about transgenderism, transitioning, gender dysphoria, and affirmation. I mean, what happened to me with affirmation? They know how effective affirming is because it's, it's like glue. And, and so affirming somebody in their own delusional issues is not healthy for them.
1: It is very difficult. That's something even I've had trouble with as we've had parents ask for referrals or even need a a professional that can testify for us or help. I've had uh, attorneys contact us and say they have like uh, minors who are in the state's custody that are, have all sorts of mental health issues and trying to represent the child so that they don't go through, you know, some of the puberty blocking drugs and all that. Just all sorts of things we're having to deal with. And it is very difficult. I would say uh, Bishop Doherty, I think in, uh, is that right? The one in Fort Wayne. Um, not Bishop Doherty, Bishop Rhodes. Bishop Rhodes in Fort Wayne. I found him to be a lot more conservative. Um, so he might have some more, you know, some better referrals. Um, but it, it is difficult. Even some Christian psychiatrists and psychologists that we know, they won't touch this, you know. There's some other just basic Christian counselors that would talk about it. But looks like we've got a referral there too, but. It is difficult. The other thing I would mention too, with Christian counselors, particularly Christian psychologists and psychiatrists, is they are so scared about having their license removed and just being completely abandoned by their industry that they have to kind of go underground and not be real vocal or public if they do have a more traditional view on it because their their colleagues are so hostile.
2: Um, yeah, let me. There's one important situation if a psychologist or a psychiatrist can find. And address the underlying comorbidity, such as schizophrenia, you can address that issue and help them, and you'll be helping them desist from the transgender ideology without saying you're dealing with transgenderism if you start addressing the underlying comorbidity that's been diagnosed.
3: Yes, sir? Is it fair to say that Abigail Schreier's focus is on uh, the young adolescent girl? yes and the first question we had from the floor uh when you responded to that it seems to me that does not address her her focus does not address the gap that you mentioned between the time that the damage occurred until the time a person's able or willing to talk about it yeah and i'm not sure exactly how how we should uh address that um I, I like what you said about the medical field and the fact that there are there are practitioners that are willing to uh, perpetrate this mutilation of the human body. But, but the the idea that her, Abigail Shrier's focus is on the young adolescent girl. And that's not, I don't think that's your focus. Your focus is much broader than that. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, my focus is actually on females, males, adults, young, I mean, I work with, children from 13 years old to adults that are in their 70s. So, uh, mine is a much broader focus.
1: I think we have time for one last question and I bet Walt would be around to stick around for a couple of minutes if you needed to come and chat with him after too.
0: I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you. If you notice, I came with my son who has this
4: problem.
2: He's been a boy boy since he was little. And in the last years, three years, he started with this thing. So you said everything that we wish he let us tell him. (laughs) So I just want to thank you. Is there any way that we can contact you personally? If if we send you an email or something, do you have time? Or I I guess you receive a lot of emails, but yeah. If I always, if uh, the child themselves, I when a parent writes and says, my I want to help my son you know. and can you contact my son, here's his phone number, I won't do that. Um, if, if there's a child out there, I don't care how old they are, from t- 10 to 70, if they will write me themselves and have them ask me their questions, because I want to work directly with them uh, and not have it filtered through something else, and, and I, I'll be happy to work with them. And thank you so much. All you has to do is write me a note. Okay, thank you so much. You bet.
1: And I just want to mention that Walt is going to be at Pastor Chris's church. Remind me the name of your church? Gateway Church Church in Richmond tomorrow. So uh, he was there Friday, right? And then back there tomorrow. Gateway Church in Richmond. So Walt's sticking around in Indiana for a while and then back to North Carolina, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, what time tomorrow, Chris? 10.30 a.m. 10.30 a.m. Richmond tomorrow. So with that, I just want to thank Walt uh, for coming by and sharing. I've, um, I've just had so much respect for you. With all that you've been through, it would be easy for someone like yourself to just hide that, not let that be publicly known, and to just live your life. But your passion for the Lord and your passion for hurting people is really admirable to me to the point where you put yourself out there publicly to be attacked by a coarsening culture. So I just want to thank you for for your courage, real courage, not what we hear about in culture all the time, to, to really try to help people. So yeah. thank you and help me to thank Walt. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much, A pleasure.
1: And thank you for the time today. With that, we are adjourned. Well, we hope that you enjoyed
0: that amazing testimony from Walt Heyer uh, and Ryan McCann from the Indiana Family Institute. Uh, wow, what a story. I tell you what, if God's redemption can, can grab Walt and can heal him and restore him after what he went through, I, I know wherever you're at, God can reach you and heal you and give you the hope that you are desperately longing for. So, so really today's message, I, more than anything, we just pray that it blessed you. And it might be hard to swallow for you. You may be listening to this and you may completely disagree with everything Walt was saying, but, but know this. God has given you an identity. He is the one who puts in you a spirit uh, of who you are. And he is the one who defines uh, who you are. And the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made. And until we come to grips with that identity, we will always be searching and trying to fill the void. And And that's what Walt, that's, that's his whole life. There was a void. He couldn't fill it. He couldn't fill it. He tried and tried and tried. He even went to... To just the mut- mutilating his body, and still he couldn't fill it until he met Jesus and allowed Jesus to do the healing work. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're you're in that same place where you're just like, I just can't fill that void. And I've tried. I've tried everything that I know what to do, and I'm still empty. Well, if that's the case, you've, you're listening to the right podcast because Jesus absolutely knows you, he sees you, and he will heal you if you allow him to. And so, so like Walt, we pray that, that that would be your story too, that you would just come to, the, to, the, uh, to surrender your life to the mercy and the love of, of an amazing God who absolutely has knit you together with an identity that he has placed in your life. So, um, you know, we, we think Ryan McCann from Indiana Family Institute, uh, go ahead and check out their uh, website at who's your family.org, uh, to learn more about them and support them and their mission. Cause they're doing great work as well. And, um, and so thank you again for checking this out. We are going to be back next week with Nathan. Like I said earlier, he's on vacation with the fam. Uh, I think the Peternells, they all went down to the smoky mountains, which is awesome. While we're up here in uh, Indiana in the middle of January with snow and freezing rain freezing our butts off, they're down there enjoying the warmth of the Tennessee mountains. So that's just great. But wherever you are, uh, we hope that you are not freezing your butt off and that you are curled around a nice... Uh, Fire with a wonderful cup of hot cocoa and listening to all of your favorite podcasts like this one and uh, many others, I'm sure. But uh, until next time, this has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics. I'm Micah. Uh, Nathan's not here. He'll be back next week. And we talk about all those things culture doesn't want to talk about that will probably scare you. (laughs) And we'll catch you next
2: time.